Welcome to Terrible, the podcast where two friends discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare themselves for life's most terrible things. Quick disclaimer, the following podcast will include graphic and explicit content. Our goal is to respect victims and their families. We do not want to sensationalize crimes or glorify criminals. We are not experts. We want to tell these stories in order to learn from them and make sure victims and their families are not forgotten. I'm Renee, a longtime true crime enthusiast. Marie, on the other hand, has recently delved into all that is true crime. We both believe that once you watch or listen to your first case, there's no going back. So let's do this. Just before we get started, we wanted to mention that we do have a merch store. There's a lot of great stuff, so if you guys want to check it out and support the show, you can go on Etsy and look us up at Terrible True Crime. The last thing is it really helps when you rate the show and leave a review or a comment wherever you listen. All right, so let's get into some updates. So I feel like I'm always basing my updates off of last week's updates because all I do is think about what we talked about all week. But I thought it would be nice to let the listeners know. So we talked about reality TV last week. And I would say like the base, the foundation of our friendship is cheap beer, (laughs) reality TV, and now true crime. Oh yeah, PBR baby. PBR and just like trash reality TV is what helps us escape from, you know, our problems, our troubles and, you know, keeps the bond strong. It really does. On that note, my, my, I don't know what your favorite reality TV show, I don't know if it's Love Island, but my favorite reality TV show is Catfish and Mm. it's just the best. It's just like my soothing show. I don't know what it is about it. Maybe it's because the story arc always follows the same thing. I'm always getting an answer at the end. It's it's one episode, one story. I Maybe it's Neve Shulman. I don't know. But that show is just my comfort show. I'm obsessed. This is completely a guess. But I think you like things where it's like you watch, like let's say an episode, you like a beginning, middle, and end. Yes. Whereas a lot of reality TV shows, it's kind of like the season is beginning, middle, end versus something like Catfish is like every episode is different, right? Yes, exactly. Oh, it's just so good. I know. I feel like it's not many people's favorite show. I don't know what it is. I started watching it during quarantine and I was like, where has this been my whole life? <laughs> my favorite reality TV show is definitely The Real Housewives. There's so <laughs> many though, and I honestly can't pick which one. I've watched them all except for New Jersey. I'm currently watching that one. Um, it's going great. And I'm going to be really upset once I finish it because then I'm like caught up on all You're of, done all of them. You're done all of them? Yeah. Not he. <laughs> except for maybe like the Australia one because I didn't but like all the like US ones yeah like I think I've only watched Orange County and I've watched like a couple seasons and I like it I like Heather Dubrow a lot um really yeah you don't like her I'm not sure about her that's all yeah I don't know why maybe I just like her because I love her husband yeah I love I love him too yeah if you are new to the world of reality tv (laughs) we could do a whole podcast on that too literally but the tv show botched which is basically where Dr. Terry Dubrow and Dr. Paul Nassif basically fix bad cosmetic surgery I love that too again so soothing beginning middle end everyone's happy in the end (laughs) it usually works out but still like mindless enough that I don't have to be super invested yeah but yeah Hey you, the app. Best six dollars a month. I swear. Best yeah, it's $6. so cheap too. So, so cheap, cheap, and you get so and the and the thing is that you get actual updated content. Like mm-hmm. like the recent Real Housewives come out weekly, like as they come out on TV. The other thing that I wanted to bring up is that I feel like we're we're at a good number of episodes now. This is episode 18. I said a lot of stuff. I've mostly talked the entire episodes. And I've said three things that I think were not so smart. (laughs) Yeah, they're haunting me. I'm going to call this like 
stupid stuff Renee says corner. I don't know. Uh, so going back, like throwing back to like our second episode, and maybe I can lump you into this because you weren't sure either, but we said that Facebook Messenger maybe wasn't around in 2015, and it for sure was around in 2015. Well, the thing is someone also called us out for it pretty harshly <laughs> too on YouTube. And like, duh, I I'll completely agree. Like we're stupid for that. But it's just because the context, like she posted on her friend's wall. Like why are you going to post on her wall? Say, where are you? When you could just Facebook messenger, like what? That's why we were confused. Exactly. Because when we were young, there was legit no, no messenger at all. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to reach someone, it was like, hey, yo girl on the wall. Like everyone could see it. (laughs) <laughs> so that's what made us like oh this is weird but yeah i sincerely apologize to facebook anyway moving on the other thing i said is that the time out in my updates when i was telling you guys that there was a loud knock on my door and it ended up being the firefighters i said there was a co2 leak that's not what oh. that is co2 is what you put in your jet stream or your bubble what do you call that soda stream your soda stream is what you put in your soda stream to put bubbles in your drink it was carbon monoxide (laughs) was what i was going for so had to correct myself there you know at least we all knew what you meant so there's that yeah but the the judgment's been haunting me the secret judgment Okay, and the last thing is last week when we were getting on Emily for recommending the case that we're covering in these two parts, I said, you put a really big charge on my back. And I realized that that makes absolutely no sense in English. (laughs) It does make sense in French. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's like a straight up translation, not like... Yes. Yeah. And if you do not speak French, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh my god, I feel that so hard. Like, I do that all the time. Like, I always say, can you you close the lights, please? Instead of, like, can you turn the lights off? Yes, and we're... And does Cody get on? You were both dating English men. Like, Matt always, the same thing. He's like, it's turn off the light. Yeah. I'm like... Mm. Anyway, <laughs> this is what happens when you're perfectly perfectly bilingual. Basically means that you're imperfect in both languages. So anyway, so I had to clear that up. And since I'm clearing that up, I thought I would clear up the other oopsies that I did. Uh, so the other thing related to the podcast is we're growing, we're getting more followers, more views, and that's super exciting. So thank you everyone who's joining us and listening every week. And um, it's just been so much fun. Like I, it's never something I thought I would do, even though basically podcasts are most huge part of my life and now like it's even more part of my life and i just we're i think we're really grateful and anyone who shares any of our stuff on their social media just to let you guys know it does help so much and we just wanted to shout out a girl named jasmine and her uh username on instagram is at jazzy underscore jazz 96 and she shared some of our stuff on her story and we are just really appreciative so that's awesome and thank you guys Okay, that's enough of me. I'm going to talk way more throughout the episode. So your turn, you take it away. Okay, first of all, I had a really hard like 30 minutes this week because there's something that happened that really scared me to death, partly because we are doing this case. And since this is part two, you know, we did part one. And then this week something happened and that this is all I could think of was someone was in my house. So basically I work from home and I always have like my iPad just like playing whatever as background noise. Since I work home alone, I don't have like earbuds, headphones or anything. I literally just play it loud. All of a sudden, my iPad stops playing, but the video keeps going. So I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like, uh, what? Okay. Then You're like, it's connecting to someone's AirPods. Is that what you thought? Well, or no? That's I'm not nervous. what I thought. That's what's happening. 
Then I get a pop-up that says accept connection to no name beats. And I was like, you're like, how like, close? And I've never seen Like it shows you a picture of the beats, like of the, of the earphones that are trying to connect. And I'm oh. like, holy shit. Someone's in my house right now with their earphones. And like somehow it's just connecting through Bluetooth. I'm scared shitless. So I'm like, I hate that to out. your heart, like races Literally. and then your blood like rushes to your head and you're like, yeah. So first thing I, I do, make sure all the doors are locked. I look outside front window, back window, like side window. I'm like, who is walking their dog, maybe connecting? There's no one anywhere. <laughs> You're like, please be somebody walking their dog wearing Literally. a pair of beats. I just want to see someone outside right now, like not trying to come in, you know? Yeah. And so no one's outside. So then I think like someone's in my basement, like waiting. You know what I mean? Oh my God. So oh, I'm like just... putting all the lights on and like slowly going downstairs. And like my basement's really creepy because it's an unfinished basement. So anyways, I was just so scared. I thought I was going to die. Probably not that eventful of a story, but to me, I almost died this week. So there's that. Um, and I, I don't think I regularly would have been that scared. It's just because it was like right after we recorded last week's episode that I was just on high alert. <laughs> this case is like freaking terrifying. It's next level. Well, hopefully it's just like some random thing. Maybe someone was like even driving by or something. Like, I don't know because it didn't even say someone's name. Like my beats say Marie's beats, and then yeah. it shows a picture of these like over over the yeah. ear whatever. But these were like earbuds, and it said no name, and I was like, someone's trying to hide their That's identity. That's so creepy. I yeah. feel like it's one of those like new spins on like those like scary movies, but that are like technology related. Yeah. Like if you see like unfriend me or anyway, it's, that's probably not the name, but those kinds yeah. of things. That is freaky. You're brave. I would have locked myself in a bedroom and then cried. <laughs> like, yeah. you're just like, no, I'm going to find you. Uh, to me, it's like, don't sneak up on me. I'll find you first, you know? <laughs> like, I got to fight for my life. This is my house. I paid for it. <laughs> Actually, what's funny is that the night we recorded the episode, me and Cody were in bed trying to fall asleep. I couldn't fall asleep because I was scared. Oh. Like, actually. <laughs> and then our neighbor's, like, fence kept, like, swinging and banging. So I just had all this banging noise. And I was, like, scared every time I heard it so then it like made like Cody get up and I made him check outside like every time we heard the bang and then I would like like cursing my name yeah well then I was like I would like get up and I would turn the lights on to see if anyone's in the house and he's like don't do that like if anyone's in the house they're gonna see you and like (laughs) you're scaring Cody so he's just like don't turn the lights on you know your house better like in the dark than a random you know what I mean so he's like don't turn it on then they can know how to navigate your house whatever anyways so if you guys haven't ever watched Walking Dead basically there's this weapon named Lucille and it's like a bat with barbed wire like all around the bat so basically after that night me and Cody came to the conclusion that we need a Lucille so um maybe this is a good thing that we did this episode because now we're gonna have protection get on Amazon I'm sure they have it (laughs) they have everything yeah no exactly (laughs) anyways that's it for me So the sources for this week are going to be pretty similar to last week. There's the Murderpedia article, a Wikipedia article. There's the CTV news article by Diana Mehta. There's the uh, Global News article by Nick Westall and Morgan Campbell. There's the Dateline episode as well as the Fifth Estate episode. 
And there is an article by Andrew Seymour from the National Post and a McLean's article by Michael Friscolanti. So we're heading into part two, and now we're going to dive into kind of the interview slash interrogation of our main suspect, the charges that will be laid, and the legal stuff and sentencing that comes in afterwards. If you haven't connected all the dots yet, we're covering a pretty well-known Canadian serial killer, Colonel Russell Williams. When we first started this podcast, I kind of thought we would try to stay away from serial killers because I really wanted to do kind of a a victim focused style podcast and also the research aspect is like a lot heavier and they're just like more covered right so fact checking and kind of cross-referencing all these different (laughs) media outlets is more challenging well that being said i think last episode went really well and i decided to write my timeline this way so that we can make sure we talk about the victims first instead of going into kind of the early life of the serial killer and this monster right off the bat we will get into some of those details about his life now in part two mostly because his background and his role in society is basically the complete opposite of what you would expect from the perpetrator we discussed in part one so this is where we left off last week investigators were looking for jessica lloyd and they believe that Jessica's disappearance, Marie-France's murder, and the break-ins could all be connected. With the help of a tip, they had found in the field close to Jessica's house tire track that had a distinctive tread, and this narrowed the potential suspect's vehicles. This included a Nissan Pathfinder. The police then set up checkpoints to try and find cars with similar tire tracks. On the evening of February 4th, at an OPP checkpoint on Highway 37, they stop a Nissan Pathfinder. The man driving this car is Colonel Russell Williams. The colonel had told officers at that point that he was rushing home because he needed to take care of a sick child. This all seemed a little sketchy, obviously, and he seemed like he could potentially be a good fit for these crimes or at least someone worth looking into, so they put him under surveillance. On Sunday, February 7th, Russell Williams was at his house in the Westboro neighborhood of Ottawa. He was asked to come in to the Ottawa Police Department by OPP. It's reported that he thought they were going to ask him about Larry Jones, because it turns out that Russell Williams owned a cottage in Tweed, and this was right beside Larry Jones, and they were neighbors. So if you remember from last week, Larry Jones was a potential suspect to investigators in this string of break-ins turned into sexual assaults turned into homicides. This next part is from the Canadian Encyclopedia. Russell Williams went to Ottawa Police Headquarters at the request of OPP Detective Sergeant Jim Smythe, who said he had a few loose ends to tie up. Once Williams was in the interrogation room, Smythe confronted him with questions for which he had no satisfactory answer. Moreover, Williams was wearing the boots he'd worn the night of Lloyd's disappearance, which were matched to footprints found in the snow outside her house. While the interview was in progress, officers with search warrants were going through the cottage in Tweed and through Williams' Ottawa home. Smythe periodically left the interrogation room to get updates from the search teams, which provided him with more damning facts. So Marie just gave you guys a brief summary on what happened once he got to um, the interrogation room and spent some time with Jim Smythe, who is the OPP detective sergeant. So we're doing things a little different this time since Marie already knows the case that we are covering because this is the second part. I sent her the interrogation video. So I know that interrogation videos was a big reason that you kind of got into true crime. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. So the interrogation is available on YouTube. It is like about two and a half hours long. It's super long to watch 
this creep kind of sit there and answer questions. Um, I lasted, I think, 59 minutes and then I tapped out. <laughs> Matthew, I think you watched a little bit longer. But yeah, so basically when he first gets there, he seems like he's smiling. He's almost like excited to be there. Yeah, and he's chewing gum. Like, oh, my next line is his gum chewing is so annoying. Oh he's- my god. Like, this is gonna be a super like not good like audio sounds but you can't hear it but you can hear it you know yeah, like you can feel like it cow. like you yeah. can literally just like I like my mouth got so pasty watching that I'm like that gum has no more flavor left throw it <laughs> yeah. out that gum is four hours old like, like. stop <laughs> So as we mentioned, the interviewer is OPP Detective Stash Sergeant Jim Smythe. Um, he's very nice at the beginning, you know, kind of trying to be buddy and buddy with Russell Williams. And he kind of reads Russell his rights. He says, like, you're not under arrest, but you could talk to a lawyer whenever you want and kind of goes over all of that stuff. Obviously, I'm just kind of, I took point for him easy notes about it if you want to see the whole thing and see the exact wording that he uses and everything i mean it it really is an amazing interrogation in terms of technique which also to note he does not hesitate when he says nope no lawyer he does not want a lawyer like he doesn't care to have a lawyer at all so he's super confident in the fact that like no i'm good i don't need yeah there's not a smidge of worry Mm -hmm. on this man's face when he walks in there not none at all and then basically uh sergeant smythe is like okay so Let's kind of talk about Jessica and her connection to the other crimes that have been going on. Russell's kind of like shrugging off, like didn't know Jessica, whatever. But then as soon as he mentions, he being Sergeant Smythe, mentions Marie-France, did you notice Russell... I don't want to call him Russell, but saying Russell Williams all the time is kind of annoying, so whatever, we'll just do that. Russell basically cuts him off right away and goes, R.I.P. I'm like, Oh, I didn't notice that. You need to calm down. <laughs> he basically didn't even finish saying Maggie Frost for He was like, all right, P. I was like, oh my God. okay. You're being obvious already here. We're four <laughs> minutes in. Like, obviously he knew because it was in his neighborhood or whatever. Like, he would have known that it happened regardless. But he was so forward with like, yeah, I know what happened. Yeah, like, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, he mentions like how close his home in Tweed, which is yeah. his cottage, is to some of like the crime scenes. Mm-hmm. And he full out says that. And then basically the sergeant goes, there's obviously a connection between you and these cases, wouldn't you think? And he kind of reluctantly agrees. He's like, well, meh. And they basically settle on the fact that geographically, there's a connection mm-hmm. between him and these crimes. Sergeant Smythe kind of asks him about his whereabouts, but right before Jessica went missing and after, and he is doing a lot of pausing and thinking, which is not like that huge of a deal if you're thinking like this person's innocent. Because like, if you asked me to describe what I did on Monday, today's Friday, I would have a difficult time. I was thinking the exact same thing. Like at first I was like, wow, like he's really thinking about it, like trying to make it up because he was, but yes. at the same time, I was like, what did I have for breakfast yesterday? Like I have no idea. So like relax, you know? Like Yeah, exactly. At yeah. this point, like they think he's pretty good for it, but there's, I think they're still like trying to get him in like a gotcha moment, you mm-hmm. know? They then like after covering what he was doing while Jessica went missing, they moved to Marie-France and he's asked how he found out about her death or her murder and he says oh he just got an email and talks about the events after finding out so what I didn't say last week is he was actually technically like above Marie-France in the military world he had met her before in a workplace setting so she worked on the airbase where he commanded I think is the right word to use but feel free to correct me military folk 
So he says he had only met her once and, you know, he's just like, you know, everything seemed normal to me. They met her once. I was on a flight, apparently, talked to her a couple times. To me, the scariest part about the beginning of this interview is that he just looks like a normal guy. He just looks so normal. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's even more terrifying when these men look like an average, friendly man instead of looking terrifying because it's just like that trust aspect it's well oh, it freaked me out you know on like scary movies when you see a, a jump scare and you just get like the like oh feeling this case has given me the jump scare mm-hmm. feeling without jumping out at me and that is just it's so truly true. terrifying yeah so then sergeant smythe uh asks russell is there like any chance that someone in your life would point to you for this like would say that there's a chance that you're connected to this or that you would have done this russell kind of laughs it off and says like nah like i'm i'm pretty boring i'm chill like there's nothing really going on in my life no he is so calm cool collected i don't know how he does it because if that was me and i did something like that my anxiety would be through the roof you could see a lot over my face like if i didn't if i didn't i'd be panicking yes true yes <laughs> no matter what i would be screaming at the top of my lungs i'd yes. be claustrophobic like the doors in that interrogation room where the walls are closing in on me yeah. like i would be just like pure panic attack either way literally though like. that's true okay so then sergeant smythe kind of says what would you be willing to give me to kind of like help me rule you out of this and that you're you're not a suspect that you couldn't have done this and russell kind of goes like well what do you need and then sergeant smythe suggests a blood sample and a footprint impression and russell promptly agrees the confidence that he thought that he could do this when he okay if there's children listening cover your ears and also you shouldn't be listening he left semen at Mm. so many different crime scenes if you're giving people the dna evidence like you have to know like this is not a stupid guy like he has to know that they've collected dna evidence throughout all these crime scenes at each one that they've been able to so the fact that he just kind of agrees surprised me there's then kind of like a long pause i mean there's a lot of long pauses but this one felt extra creepy to me because you can see that like russell's like thinking kind of like oh crap i don't know and this is one for me like it changes a little bit and he looks at sergeant smythe and he goes can i assume that you'll be discreet oh my god yeah and sergeant smythe says as possible like kind of like we'll do everything we can because this is a high-ranking military man and he's just thinking you know whether you're watching this objectively like you're thinking i don't know if he's done this or hasn't he's thinking either way this is going to have an impact on my career on my life you know he actually uh-huh. mentions the rumor mill, which is a thing, right? We saw it with Larry Jones. Like, people pegged him for these crimes just because he was looked into by investigators. Yeah, he also mentions his wife, like, a million times. Like, my wife, my wife, my wife. Can't stop thinking about my wife and what she's going to think. Yeah, he's super concerned about all this information getting back to the Canadian Armed Forces and his wife. Mm-hmm. He goes on to kind of say it could have a pretty significant impact on his life at the base and if they found out that the investigators thought that he did this. And then he's kind of asked, are you worried? Do you have any reason to be worried? And he's kind of like, nope, not at all. And then it kind of like, I feel like his demeanor switches back into like calm again for a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's then asked about Lori, who we mentioned in the previous episode, who was, uh, as far as we're aware, the second sexual assault victim. 
he's asked if he's ever been into her house and he says no but they were neighbors like basically three doors down okay so sergeant smythe kind of says okay but like i just want to make sure that if we find your dna in her house that you have a reason to be there so i can rule you out but he still kind of says like nope i've just met her like haven't been in her house kind of thing then Sergeant Smythe pushes forward and asks if he's ever been in any of the locations that these crimes happened in. And again, Russell is like, nope, no way. There's kind of more questions revolving on the timeline and if he's ever driven next to Jessica's house. So on this specific road, the road where the tire tracks were found off of. And he has, it's a main road. So he says that he has, but he doesn't remember kind of driving off the road. Then Sergeant Smythe tells Russell that the tire tracks were identified as a match to his car. And he's kind of like, oh, really? All this time, the interrogator's walking in and out of the room, giving him some like long periods of time, just alone with himself and his thoughts. And this particular moment when he comes back, he says, here's the issue. Listen, Russell. Every time I leave this room, there's not less evidence pointing towards you there's more and obviously i'm like summarizing because there's not the exact words like i said go watch it but basically he now pulls out the footwear impression and shows russell that it's an exact match he basically tells him it's as good as fingerprints which i think was kind of a boost but it's an interrogation they're doing everything they can to kind of get him to admit it Mm Then the sergeant basically says, if you want discretion, you're going to have to be honest because this is getting out of my control and there's little that I'm going to be able to do if you're not able to help me. He continues to press him and Russell is pretty quiet at this point. Like the, the shoe print really rattles him. Yeah, and I think at this point, this is where the silence got me. I need to know what he's thinking in his mind. Like, what's about to happen? What is he about to say? What's about to happen? Russell at this point eventually says, I don't know what to say after these long breaks of silence. And the interrogator tells him that there's been a search warrant executed for both of his properties. So the home in Westboro and the cottage in Tweed. Sergeant Smythe says, you and I both know what they're going to find there. And this is your opportunity to take control of the situation. Russell is sitting there and not denying anything. He's dead quiet. He basically just stays quiet for a very long time. So to cut the silence, the interrogator basically says, do you want to be known as a cold-blooded psychopath? Then he just keeps staying quiet and all of a sudden goes, call me Russ. That's all he says. Call me Russ. Don't call me Russell. Call me Russ. Like, what is he thinking in this moment that that's what comes out of his mouth? And that's like, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes into the interrogation. Like, he's called you Russell this whole time. All of a sudden, and he's like, do you want to be known as a cold-blooded psychopath? (laughs) Call me Russ. (laughs) What? He's like, no, I'm personable. I'm a nice guy. I'm I'm Russ. Literally. I was like, wow, I, I can't with this man. Sergeant Smythe basically goes like, I don't think that's you. He even kind of compares him to Paul Bernardo, like, Mm. which whole other thing. He kind of says, I've seen guys who do this for attention, like Paul Bernardo. That's not you. This can be over and it can end badly. Or again, you can kind of take control of the situation, which I think is interesting because like, you know, people in the military, it's a very like controlled environment, a very organized, controlled. So I wonder if he's trying to play on that a little bit. Like this is your chance to like, 
create your own narrative if not other people are going to do it for you and you won't be in charge yeah and he was also saying this investigation could end up costing at least 10 million dollars and i think that was the first time where i heard an amount for an investigation like what an investigation would cost Mm -hmm. holy 10 million dollars yeah again i have no idea if he like boosted it just because it's like an interrogation skill i don't know how much these things tend to cost especially like a huge one like this like the manpower it took and everything that went into it and the overtime i'm sure like they don't stop working all different kind of hours i don't know man that's a lot of money It definitely is. And there's just like so much silence. And I'm the type of person that when (laughs) you're laughing because it's so true, I don't like the silence. If I'm around my like best friends or some people I'm comfortable with, I can sit in silence the whole time. If a stranger comes up to me or me and my friends, I will feel that silence. Like I am not letting it get quiet or awkward because I can't handle it. So it just like, I started like getting anxiety (laughs) at the amount of silence that was going on. And I know that that's actually an interrogation tactic to like let them sit and think about it and like make things awkward and stare at them in the face. Oh my God. Yeah. You would be awful if someone interrogated you. I would die. I would would just tell them my life story. I'd be like, anyway, tell me about your kids. You would be someone who would like falsely confess just to fill the silence. Probably like okay, I did it. Just let me out of here. Leave me out of here. Oh my god, that's so Renee, guys. Like one hundred (laughs) percent Renee. Anyway. A light moment in the moment of darkness. But basically ton of silence and then Sergeant Smythe goes, Can we find Jessica easily or is it gonna be difficult? More silence and then Russell ends up eventually saying, It's hard to believe this is happening. A bit more silence. And he basically is concerned about public perspective. He's concerned about his wife and the Canadian forces. And I mean, very concerned about his wife and Mm -hmm. them tearing up her brand new home in Westboro. Which like, if you cared about your wife that much, why are you going to go do this? Yeah, exactly. She's not going to be a fan when she finds out. This is like unforgivable on top of unforgivable on top of unforgivable. Like there's no, there's no version of this where Mm -hmm. you survive this. And it's interesting because two weeks ago we covered the Wells Grave Provincial Park murders and that perpetrator was all worried about his mom. And I just think it's interesting how these people can do such awful things but then have these real legitimate relationships with people and value them in their lives value them to a point where like that's the only thing they're upset about not what they did but the person finding out what they did so russell's basically like how can we minimize the impact of this on my wife and the interrogator is like this is the goal so you have to work with me and then there's kind of a large pause and then sergeant smith goes where is she and then the pause continues and russell goes get a map So this is one hour into the interview. This is where I stopped because I had had enough. But you can keep watching. He does go into details about his crimes, I believe. Yeah, he basically explains what Renee explained in episode one from his own mouth. He said the thing about the cat, like her cat was... He did? Yeah. Oh, that's creepy. That's why I had to stop. That's where I'm pretty sure that's where I stopped. I heard that. I was like, yeah, no, sorry can't oh i'm scared done okay so during the searches of william's property investigators found cameras a duffel bag containing a black skull cap a manual for lock picking boxes and pillowcases stuffed with underwear and lingerie they found a hidden compartment in his basement ceiling in the ottawa home where he kept two computer hard drives these hard drives had evidence of his crimes and yes you guessed it you know all the pictures he took the video clips over three thousand photographs and matthew 
is losing it right now if you're watching on YouTube because I put this picture here and I'm so happy you haven't seen it yet. All of the lingerie. Yes, it's a shocking picture. I was shook when I saw it. All of the lingerie that he took, a ton of it he would put on model set his camera up on a tripod and take pictures of himself and some of these pictures are available online i don't know how controversial it is we're probably not going to post them on our social media but we have to this have is to. i don't this know is... Maggie, there is nothing creepier than these pictures his straight face in this woman's lingerie and it's he's like starfishing it's actually Start very fishing, but standing up. You... At first, you're like kind of because like, you're like you're yeah. embarrassing. But then but you're then... like, no, no, he liked this. Like he, this was his happy place. But then you realize, like you said, like he put his camera up on a tripod, posed. Also, one of these and is back. a full tankini. Like that is not lingerie. <laughs> is that middle one not a tankini? Definitely a tankini. And that's so era like oh nine. He told the investigator where to find these items. Did he? Yeah, and he said that he deleted all the pictures, but I'm sure they could recover them or whatever. So who knows if he actually deleted them. But yeah. just knowing that this is what, like, he knew that this is what they were going to find. Like, probably like, yeah, it's, it's just not me. Whatever you find is not me. Yeah. Wow. It's just like, I wish we could, like, cut the face off because the face is so creepy. I Stop, oh. I can't. The worst one is definitely the, the green. The tankini? No, the, oh, green. the green one. I was not expecting that. I was kind of hoping you hadn't seen it, but then mm -hmm. I didn't want to like freak you out, but I wanted to get like your raw reaction to this. I guess we're going to have to post it. We will post it as the last. Yeah, sounds good. Swipe through on our Instagram and we'll put in the caption kind of a little swipe to the last one only if you dare. I don't know, but it's, it is uncomfortable. It is freaky. If it was just a man in women's underwear who's enjoying his it's life a different story like, yeah get it this is not what that is no you're right it's a it's it's the perspective of what he's thinking while he's doing it he, he didn't go out and buy this laundry for him or for him to feel good like he's yeah anyways he had even an organized inventory of most of the items he had stolen i guess that makes it easier for investigators he was charged with murder breaking and entering forcible confinement and sexual assault the news of the arrest shook everyone that knew him and even those who didn't. He was living a complete double life. Now we know the evil predator, murderer Russell Williams. I'm going to tell you about Colonel Williams, the wing commander. Russell Williams was born March 7th of 1963 in Bromsgrove, England. His family, his mom, dad, and his brother, as well as him, immigrated to Canada and they moved to Chalk River, Ontario. His father worked as a metallurgist in a nuclear research lab, and his mom was a physiotherapist for children. The parents would get divorced in 1969. His mom then married a man named Jerry Savka, who was a nuclear physicist who worked in the same lab as Russell's father. So it's kind of a weird story, but the Williams family and the Savka family were really close. And basically, there was affairs going on. I don't know if simultaneously or if one came after the other. They basically like partner swapped. Like, wow. Russell, and the reason I'm not saying his parents' name is because I, I don't know, their son turned out to be awful. And I don't think that that's a reason for yeah. us to say. And you know what? At least they swapped partners. So it's not like one's heartbroken while the other like had an affair. Like, at least they both kind of just like peace. Yes. It seems like it was for sure messy, but at mm. least they were with someone like i don't know russell's mom married jerry savka and 
Russell's dad went with Mama Savka, I guess. <laughs> Russell, for a period of time, actually took the last name Savka. He would eventually change it back. It's not really clear why. The new blended family moved to North York, Ontario. They were most likely happy to leave the gossip of the relationship swap behind them and start anew. There, Russell Williams would attend Toronto's Birchmont Collegiate High School, but he ended up completing high school at Upper Canada College. He worked as a delivery guy for the Globe and Mail newspaper and enjoyed playing the piano and participated in the school band. He dated throughout high school, and around 1979, the parents actually moved to South Korea for Russell's stepdad's work. I think the boys, so Russell and his brother, actually went with them at first, but Russell quickly decided that he was not a fan, it was not for him, so he returned to Canada and was a boarding student for two years at the Upper Canada College to kind of finish his high school up. After high school, he attended the University of Toronto in the Scarborough campus. He graduated with a Bachelor's of Arts and studied economics and political science. He also dated in university, had a pretty steady girlfriend, and it's reported he was pretty broken up about the breakup eventually when they did break up. He kind of took a long break from dating after that, and eventually he saw the movie Top Gun, and apparently that really inspired him, so he signed up for flying lessons at Toronto's Buttonville Municipal Airport. He then enrolled in the Canadian Armed Forces in 1987. He got his flying wings in 1990. He was then posted to three Canadian Forces Flying Training School, based at CFB Portage La Prairie, Manitoba, where he served for two years as an instructor. He was promoted in January of 1991 to captain and was posted to 434 Combat Support Squadron at CFB Shearwaters, Nova Scotia. In 1992, he flew a CC-144 Challenger in the Electronic Warfare and Coastal Patrol role. In June of 1991, he got married. He got married to a woman whose name is Mary. We're not going to say her last name because... I mean, she's also kind of a victim. Well, not kind of. She's also a victim in this situation. And she has done everything she can to kind of remove herself from this situation. Yeah, don't blame her. In 1994, he was posted to the 412 Transport Squadron in Ottawa, where he transported VIPs, including high-ranking government officials and foreign dignitaries, also on challengers. He had flown Queen Elizabeth II and the Duke of Edinburgh, or Edinburgh, correct us if we're wrong, it's spelled Edinburgh. The Governor General of Canada, the Prime Minister of Canada at the time, Peter McKay, and many other dignitaries across Canada and overseas in Canadian Forces VIP aircrafts. Wow. That's yeah. pretty crazy. Like, when they say this was, like, an important man, like, this was... Wow. Important man. In 1999, he was promoted to major and was posted to Director General of Military Careers in Ottawa, where he served as a multi-engine pilot career manager. In 2004, he then obtained a Master's of Defense Studies at the Royal Military College. In June of 2004, he was promoted to Lieutenant Colonel. In July of 2004, he was appointed Commanding Officer of 437 Transport Squadron at CFB Trenton, Ontario for two years. From December 2005 to May 2006, he also served as as a commanding officer of Camp Mirage, a secretive logistics facility believed to be located in Al-Madhad Air Base in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, that provides support to Canadian forces operating in Afghanistan. 
In 2006, the couple was living in Orleans. This is also around the time that they had bought themselves the cottage on Cozy Cove Lane in Tweed. In July of 2006, he was posted as the Directorate of Air Requirements, where he served as Project Director for Airlift Capability Project Strategic and Tactical and Fixed Wing Search and Rescue. This is a mouthful, and this is all military terms, and this is hard, so just hang in there, people. It's all, it's all coming somewhere. It's all getting there. In January of 2009, he was posted to the Canadian Forces Language School in Gatineau, Quebec for six months to learn French. He was then promoted to colonel. On July 15th of 2009, William was sworn in as wing commander at the Canadian Forces Base in Trenton. Canadian Forces Base Trenton is Canada's busiest airbase and locus of support for overseas military operations. Located in Trenton, Ontario, the base also functions as a point of arrival of all Canadian Forces personnel killed in Afghanistan and the starting point for funeral processions along the Highway of Heroes, where their bodies are brought to Toronto for autopsy. As an adult, he enjoyed photography, as we already know fishing, running, and golfing. On February 8th, 2010, Russell was arraigned and remanded, basically waiting his trial. The Canadian Armed Forces obviously replaced him and removed his bio from the Department of National Defense website the following day. Once the news spread, unsolved homicides were looked into wherever he had lived. In April of 2010, Williams was placed on suicide watch after he tried to kill himself by wedging a stuffed cardboard toilet paper roll down his throat. Yeah. That's like that's a wow, that's an interesting way to do it. On July 22nd of 2010, Russell Williams appeared before the Ontario Court of Justice in Belleville, Ontario via video link from a detention center. On August 26th, again appearing via video link, he waived his rights to a preliminary inquiry. On October 7th of 2010, he appeared in front of the Ontario Supreme Court of Justice. His lawyer stated then that his client would plead guilty to all 82 criminal code charges filed against him. On October 18th of 2010, he officially pleaded guilty to all charges. A lot of charges. Oh, yeah. However, like, even though he pled guilty, they kind of had a bit of a defense. Like, he wanted to say something, and maybe that had to do with the amount of time he was going to get sentenced for. But to me, it's not going to change a thing since you've done two murders. But he basically said, or his lawyer said, that he was not well because he was on a new drug called prednisone. And it's for arthritis that he was suffering, I guess. Basically, they're claiming that this drug changed his entire personality. It's a bold claim. Yes. And this drug has been around since the 1950s. So I actually got this bit of information. I listened today to the Dark Poutine episode about uh, Russell Williams. And the one of the hosts actually says that he's been on this drug before and then it's been around since the 1950s. So he's like, yeah, okay, jokes. Yeah, right. This mm. made you <laughs> commit murders. He read this long statement in court. I will not read it because we do not want to give him that. But it basically is apologizing to everyone he's traumatized and everyone he's hurt and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he committed despicable crimes and he betrayed everyone and whatever. During the trial and after, the following details would emerge. After Mavie murder, Russell drove to Ottawa, where he was expected to attend a meeting later that day. As he drove, he threw out his shoes and rope that he used in her attack. He later admitted that his motive for killing her was because he was worried about becoming a suspect because he was like close enough to her that they might kind of connect the dots. But you still murdered her. 
Yeah. I'm like, maybe don't break into the house of the person that they could connect you to. <laughs> he says that he had met her on a military flight and as her commander, he was later able to access her personal information. So I don't know if he saw her, had a thing for her, looked up her address. I, I don't know, but this is kind of what it, it's seeming like he might have done. The day her body was discovered, he officiated a fundraiser for the CFB at Trenton. Technically, Marie-France was under his command, so he wrote a letter of sympathy to her family on behalf of the base. Okay, so we're going to try to read this. It's it's uh, basically a scanned copy of the letter. It's kind of hard to read, but this is the gist of what it says. Dear Mr. Como, I would like to take this opportunity on behalf of the men and women at the Trenton base to express my sincere condolences on the tragic death of your daughter. Marie-France was a professional, caring, compassionate woman who earned the respect of all with whom she came into contact. She set high standards for herself and others and was devoted to the well-being of those around her. Marie-France made the lasting impact on Trenton and she will be missed by her many friends. Please let me know whether there is anything I can do to help you during this very difficult time. You and your family are in our thoughts and prayers with our deepest sympathy and it's signed R. Williams Colonel Wing Commander. Obviously, this is horrifying for the family. Like, horrifying. Like, just, just think about him do, 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 typing this letter up. I was like, you're the reason for this tragedy. Yeah, like, you did this. What? I wonder if that made him nervous at all, but I feel like it didn't. I feel like he was like, this is part of my job. Like, he put, like, one face on at work and then the other face on when he was, like, doing yeah. the break. I feel like he was probably just chewing gum. And it turns out he had actually okayed the search and rescue helicopter provided by CFB Trenton after Jessica's disappearance to help look for her so he was like weirdly involved oh in these my God. and after he murdered jessica he went to california leaving her body in his covey cove home in the garage i'm pretty sure this was a work trip but when he returned three days later he wrapped her up and then kind of went out to bury her larry the neighbor who you'd mentioned earlier his daughter had actually come home from a night out and she surprised an intruder in jogging clothes and he ran away she at the time thought that it might just be some neighborhood kid but it all made sense later yeah he made 82 that we know of fetish-related home invasions and attempted break-ins between September of 2007 and November of 2009. 82? No wonder he was so confident. He was never getting caught. Maybe a couple close calls, but... That's an addiction. Crown attorney Robert Morrison presented numerous pictures of Russell dressed in various underwears and bras that he had stolen, which is the pictures that Marie saw earlier that you could swipe all the way to the end to be able to see on our Instagram. And, you know, while he was wearing this, he would... This was very erotic for him so i mean use your imagination i won't go into details some of these photos were presented on the first day of his trial and were published in several newspapers which i don't know how oh my god are you <laughs> yeah i don't know how that was allowed because they're disturbing like i'm like debating whether we should post them on our social media or not and like the globe and mail wow. is publishing them william stole around of what we know 1400 pieces of clothing most of it underwear and lingerie apparently when he had too many items he had brought some to a field outside of ottawa to burn them so he literally had too many underwears and bras and pieces of lingerie to even store where did he even store this? Like, how did his wife not find those? Crawl spaces like, and stuff? I don't know. I think they spent a lot of time separately. Like, she spent true. a lot of time 
at the auto yeah, residence. Two places, he spent yeah. a lot of time in Tweed. So they weren't together all week long, kind of a conventional couple. Mm-hmm. He admitted that he broke into the home of neighbors on Cozy Cove Lane in 2007. This was a specific couple. They had two kids and one of them was a 12-year-old girl who would actually cat sit for Russell and his wife. So she had a key to their home. Terrifying again. When they found the pictures, they saw that he had broke into this 12-year-old girl's home, had stolen her underwear, and had taken pictures in her room. Is that the girl we spoke first thing in our last no. episode? That's another no. one? This one is a neighbor from Tweed. Oh my god. So this girl was 12 years old, and although most of his victims were women, he had what is described as child abuse images. So, I mean, it just gets worse and worse and worse. I mean, you're evil. On October 22, 2010, Ontario Supreme Court Justice Robert F. Scott sentenced him to two concurrent terms of life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years. His uniform was destroyed through burning by the Canadian forces as his name had been stitched onto the fabric. His medals were also later destroyed and his pathfinder was crushed and scrapped. Williams still collects his military pension. In May of 2010, he and his wife also split the real estate holdings, leaving Russell Williams. Williams, the sole owner of their cottage in Tweed, and his wife, the sole owner of the Ottawa townhome. So he's getting that good commissary money. Well, Russell Williams refused to pay $8,000 in victim surcharge fines, resulting in action being taken against him by a collection agency. Okay, this just proves <laughs> that he's a horrible human being. He is. Like, what did sergeants might say? You don't want people to think that you're a cold-blooded psychopath. I mean... Call me Russ. Russ, you're a cold-blooded psychopath. (laughs) He was at first incarcerated in the Kingston Penitentiary, and after the prison began closing, he was moved to the Port Cartier Institution, a maximum security prison in Quebec. He wrote apologies to the families of the victims, which we're not going to read because it's all BS, and honestly, it's just disgusting. I can't see as a family member that bringing you any kind of closure just based on mm-hmm. i mean i'm not in their shoes i know for me it wouldn't bring me any closure it would just no. feel like it's publicized so it just feel like another way for him to get attention but i mean we will read what he wrote to his wife because it's short but it just really got to me so i'm gonna let you read it buddy dearest mary i love you i am so very sorry for having hurt you like this i know you'll take good care of sweet rosie i love you russ First of all, their cat name is Rosie. Yeah, just oh like mine. God. And I think I'd change my cat's name. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, girl. Your name is not Rosie anymore. <laughs> no, but Rosie's a victim in this too, just like the wife. I know. Look at her. Yeah. She's for, she's on the news. Uh, this is like three lines and he might have tried to attempt to talk to her more or whatever. And this is just what we have up are kind of are able to get a hold of but is he expecting like a no worries dude i forgive you love you too you didn't like forget to make the bed or like forget to put the toilet seat down and she fell on the toilet when tried to go pee <laughs> like this is the type of letter i'm expecting when you do something like that yeah he didn't even pour his heart out to her we'll read some snippets from news stories now but people like the victims and stuff took legal action against him and it kind of involved her too so it Mm -hmm. she was like totally dragged into this no poor girl this next part is from the mclean's article by michael friscolanti i'll just say before maggie reads the quote 
to remind you guys that he was refusing to pay victims fines. Um, so this is kind of an article that talks about that four years later after his sentence. Four years after he was sentenced to life behind bars, serial sex killer Russell Williams has reached an out-of-court financial settlement with some of his many victims. Months in the works, the deal brings to an end two multi-million dollar civil lawsuits that targeted not only the disgraced ex-colonel, but his wife, one launched by Jane Doe. Williams' first sexual assault victim, another by the devastated mother and brother of Jessica Lloyd, who was kidnapped from her Belleville, Ontario home and murdered inside the former Air Force commander's cottage. Although both lawsuits demanded hefty damages for Williams' brutal and vicious conduct, they also accused his longtime spouse, Mary, of participating in a fraudulent and clearly suspicious property transfer aimed at shielding their assets from the very type of litigation they ended up facing. Jane Doe's original settlement of claim sought $2.45 million from the couple, the Lloyds demanded $4 million. We are pleased to announce that the actions commence at Belleville on behalf of the victims of Russell Williams, being Roxanne and Andy Lloyd and Jane Doe, have been resolved to the mutual satisfaction of all parties. The actions have been settled with Mr. Williams and will be dismissed as against Mary on a without-cost basis. So basically, some of the victims were able to get some money so i don't think you know he's not chilling with that military pension like it's yeah seriously it's at least going to some of the victims like lord knows he doesn't need it right now But yeah, I mean, there's no happy ending in the story. It's just awful. I mean, I'm glad he was caught. I'm glad he's behind bars. I'm also glad that Mary didn't have to pay anything for his crimes because obviously she had no idea what he was doing. Yeah, and, and this imagine- is not the first first case that we cover where this one spouse is doing horrible things and the other spouse has literally no idea like are you supposed to put that in your prenup like if you have a prenup if you murder yeah if you murder and, and i ain't we paying will. for shit anyway i i'm so ready to purge this case from oh my, my brain this case has terrified me interested me horrified me and now has burnt me out thank god it's friday while we record because i'm gonna go have a couple more drinks and try to forget the fact that someone can break into your home and fully be there without you being aware (laughs) on the other hand of things i will be editing these episodes for the next two weeks so uh russell williams i will still have you in my mind so um goodbye sleep that's That's okay (laughs) that's four weeks of russell williams Honestly, nothing, I mean, knock on wood, like I probably shouldn't say this, but like nothing could scare me more unless it actually happened at this point, other than that Bluetooth thing the other day. (gasps) (laughs) The haunted Bluetooth. The haunted Bluetooth. I mean, at this point, I would welcome a ghost over any of these true crime cases. I mean, not really, (sighs) please. Yeah, I think that exactly, right? Please, ghosties, leave me alone. (laughs) This week, we will be donating to When Do Women's Self-Defense. This is from their website. When Do Women's Self-Defense is a registered charity and the oldest women's self-defense organization in Canada. Our 15-hour basic course covers a wide variety of physical and verbal self-defense techniques, awareness, and avoidance of threatening situations, and discussions of psychological, social, and legal issues involved in self-defense. All of our classes are taught by women for women and girls. Classes are open to anyone whose lived gender identity is that of a woman or girl, aged 10 and up of any level of physical ability. 
Physical techniques are designed to be effective against larger, physically stronger attackers. They include blocks, strikes, releases from holds, defenses against weapons, and defenses against more than one attacker. Verbal self-defense strategies examined in the class include calming, reasoning, negotiating, distracting, surprising, or confronting an attacker depending on the situation. We also look at the most effective ways of calling on bystanders, if any, for help. Discussion topics include sexual assault, relationship abuse, harassment, self-defense, and the law, and safety awareness in a variety of situations, at home, work, or school, at parties, or on dates, on the street, highway, or public transit, and while traveling. If you would like to contribute to When Do Women's Self-Defense, the link to donate will be in our description and Instagram and TikTok bio. Pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram, so please follow us at Terrible True Crime. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and leave us a review below. If you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our socials or email us at terribletruecrime at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us. And see you next time. Thank you.